This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's a swing and a drive to center by Ramos. Back and it goes Ellsbury to the wall. It is gone. Wilson Ramos with a two-run home run. And with one swing of the bat, he's given the Rays the lead. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week. Take a look around Major League Baseball and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our show today from Urban Comfort in St. Petersburg, where we have a race watch party today. You're going to hear today from Mitch Lukovich on the race farm system. Arrestus Destrada will join us from Fox Sports Sun. We'll hear from Jake Faria about going home. And Brendan McKay will discuss his promotion to High East Charlotte. Welcome back to This Week in Race Baseball. Neil Solon's with you. Now joining me is Arrestus Destrada of Fox Sports Sun. Oh, you couldn't really ask for a better week, could you? Well, I mean, I, I, unless we would have, like, swept uh, Baltimore, but that was for the past week, I guess. So for this week, no. Uh, I'm thinking the totality of the road trip has been incredibly surprising uh, to some degree and uh, definitely, Neil, uh, very pleasing. You know, this team, you and I have been, you know, watching develop and go through its ebbs and flows, and, and they totally have been ebbing and flowing because when they – when they've gotten a little cold, it's been very cold. But when they've gotten hot, man, it's uh, it's very impressive and fun to watch. I think it, we certainly have found a character, though, in the group all the way through. And they're a very, very resilient and scrappy yeah. team. They really are. And, and you know, we, we last year, I, I'm not going to say we didn't have a team that, that fought, you know, tooth and nail. And, and when you look at the, the again, in totality, um, four or five games out of making the playoffs last year at 80 and 82. This is a team that, you know, had they not really kind of went super south with their offense in August of last year, uh, could have been in the mix. So a lot of the genes left over from, from that last year and, and, you know, and a lot of kids that came over that kind of got a little taste of it, you know, the Robertsons and, and, and some of those guys, Malik Smith, you know, the carryovers of, you know, of Durham slash uh, the big leagues, uh, and then the new additions. I, I think so far you got to say that that the additions that the, that the front office have made have been on point, man, because they're they're fighters, uh, including the the Gomez's and the Matt Duffy's and um, the CJ Crone and Ramos, everybody. And then if you go to, to into the pen, these guys are, are battling really hard. Now, today certainly is a challenge. You've got, and one of the reasons I want to bring you on was the challenge yeah. uh, facing Otani. You obviously played in Japan. How hard is what Shohei Otani is doing, both pitching and hitting and doing it so well in his first year in the big leagues? How impressive is it to you? Well, uh, Neely, I think uh, the, the main part of that question is towards the end when you say at the big leagues. Um, you know, we have a, a kid in McKay that's just doing a really yeoman's job already coming from Louisville 
you know, as a two-sport star, and he's doing a nice job. And, and, and Laurie now, now in Stonecraft's probably move his way up. I, I wouldn't be surprised if McKay wouldn't, you know, end up in double A and, and who knows where because he's, he's a little older. But still, it's still the minor leagues. Uh, Shohei, what he's doing, and I saw him uh, years ago, a couple of different times live in Japan, uh, most recently three years ago when I was honored by my team uh, in, during the All-Star break in July about three years ago. And I got to watch him pitch as a young stud with, with the with the Nippon Hamfighters. And I was duly impressed, more so with the pitching. Uh, he mm-hmm. didn't do a whole lot that day with the hitting, but but I could see the prowess of he's a combination, and this is scary, of Matsui at the plate because he's got a very similar swing to Hideki Matsui, like an inside-outs like most of the Japanese, but power to the opposite field, mostly to, to left center, power to, to, to right center, uh, tall, and a little taller than Hideki, and, and that stand-up, you know, beautiful one, two, three type swing the Japanese have. And then pitching-wise, he's basically you, you Darvish, and, and that's scary to compare those two guys and put them together into one more ball player. But that's what we're talking about. Very loose. What we'll see today is a very loose fastball. And, and when we talk about that, we're talking about a guy that kind of you know, the motion's very nice and smooth, and then the ball explodes at 96, 98 miles an hour. He's got a, a, a shuto, which is really not a sinker. It's a Japanese tailing fastball, two-seamer that stays in the same plane. And then he's got the hammer, which is a, a split that both dives down and away and down and in. Uh, and he'll flip-flop a curve in there, too. But he sees something to behold on the mound. He really is. Well, it should be a challenge for the Rays today, but either way, oh, it's been a great road trip. Uh, we will see wow. you at Tropicana Field for Boston and Baltimore. And, again, good stuff hopefully coming uh, after that as well. You got it, Neil, man. Looking forward to getting back uh, home and, uh, and keeping this uh, exciting. Let's get the 500 and then move on from there. You got it. And hopefully over today. It's Arrested Destrada of Fox Sports Sun. And now joining us to look at the Rays on the minor league side is Director of Minor League Operations, Mitch Lukovic. And, Mitch, we've had a fair amount of movement and promotions. I know a lot of our fans are curious about Brendan McKay that we just mentioned. Who? Why was now the right time for a promotion for him and what things are considered when uh, moving a player up? Well, it, it's our most difficult of decisions. One, to set rosters. Two, to move players during the season. It's probably our most difficult decision to move. When you're looking at moving a player, you know, how has he handled where he is at that affiliate, like let's talk about uh, Brendan uh, in Bowling Green. How did he handle it physically? How did he handle it mentally? We saw that he dominated from the pitching side. We saw from the hitting side there were so many walks. He has a really good eye. He got a lot of walks that way. The pitchers were pitching around him and not giving him pitches to hit. And we thought with this young guy, that the next level was ready at that time and challenge them, you know, with our Starlet Stone Crab ball club. And you've also moved some guys up to the highest level. You've moved a couple of pitchers, Mike Franco, Colin Poche, both different. Poche you just got as a player to be named in the Steven Souza Jr. trade. Mike's been in your system, and he looked really good, I know, in spring training when we saw him in the big league games. Yeah, it's great to move him up. It's hard to move him down. You know, it's excitement when, when our players get an opportunity to play you know, at the level above, and it's great when they come here to Durham, Neil. As you know, here Durham's a special place, the ballpark, the city, the surroundings. And with Michael, who's been a long-time Ray, got this opportunity. Uh, Colin Fouché, as you mentioned, we just got him in the trade. 
player to be named later in the Steven Souza Jr. trade. He was player of the month in the Southern League. We had one outing with him, Montgomery. He has what you, what you would say, everything you needed to move up. He's done well here. But with Michael, it gives us great pleasure to get him here. He earned the spot. Now, uh, what creates spots open? You know, what goes on in the major league on our, with our major league team dictates a lot of times what we do in the minor league. We had the doubleheader. We had to send players from Durham to our big league team to help out. And at the time, we sent Boucher, Michael Frank, you mentioned, and, and a left-handed pitcher by the name of Harrison since moving back. But it affects Durham. It affects Montgomery. We had to move Curtis Taylor. Um, we just got him in a trade. Big, strong right-hander, a Canadian, little under his belt with a really big arm. Move him up to double A. Sometimes that creates an opportunity. But you always want to make the right move for these kids' career. You don't want to put them in a league where they can't handle it physically or mentally, and then you have to move them back, Neil. And and the pitchers that you know were just promoted to AAA are guys that would one would think have a chance to be eventually multi-inning type relievers or, or relievers of some sort at the major league level. Absolutely. We, we have a lot of good pitchers here in Durham. We're really happy for Anthony Bonda to get that opportunity. He got got this finally got got the start. He did well. We fill in here in Durham. We had a bullpen day. Nine innings, seventeen strikeouts with Franco Pouchet. Diego Castillo had the best outing I have seen in his career hmm. here. And then Adam Kolarik, you know, struck out four out of four and Adam has struck out eleven out of thirteen of his last hitters and he threw a really good change up to a right-handed hitter, and that was exciting for all of us to see. Encouraging indeed. You know, I want to mention one position player who got moved up recently, and he seemingly has more than held his own. Uh, that's Andrew Velasquez, who looked like he made some changes in his swing this spring. You know, we call him Squid. Everybody has a nickname. Mm-hmm. So Andrew Velasquez from the Bronx, New York, has a nickname of Squid. He's not a big kid in, in stature, but this kid has quick twitch motor skills and he loves to play the game he's come here in Durham and fit right in switch handed hitter above average runner multi-position type player with shortstop second base and played center field for us last night here in Durham and it's really good to see when these kids work that hard get to the next level and and do well at that level and, and that's very very encouraging indeed curious since we started with brendan mckay at the a ball level um you guys have had a six-man rotation with brendan because of his schedule do you now have that in charlotte and do you keep it in bowling green with some of the young kids you have there or do you go to a standard five bowling green neil has always had a six-man rotation as we get these kids acclimated from a half a season of professional baseball to 140 games full season we take it easier everybody gets a little excited about you know they don't get enough innings or pitch counts but it's not how you start it's how you finish as these kids Mm -hmm. grow physically which a lot of times they're not ready in bowling green and mentally we're developing the total body and so we go to a six-man rotation in port charlotte charlotte stonecraft it's a five-man but with mckay there we're going to go to a six-man, and it doesn't hurt to give some of these guys an extra day. Um, we're going through uncharted waters, and so is Brendan. And, you know, I've often been quoted with Brendan. He has to write intangibles to handle this. 
we move them from Bowling Green to Port Charlotte. But if we, we emphasize a little more pitching, then when he got there, he wouldn't have hit in the game for three days. We thought we need to keep on track with hitting. As you saw, he got there Monday. He was in the lineup Tuesdays aside, off, off Friday's going to start. But we didn't think it was good for him to miss too many days swinging a bat game action. And, and we're learning this, and he's learning this. And wonderful collaboration to help this young man, you know, become one day a good big leaguer for us. Well, we're going to hear from him later on in the show. We appreciate having Mitch, you come on the program with us today. Thanks again for coming on this week in Race Baseball. Always, Neil. It's a pleasure. Thanks. And that is Rays Director of Minor League Operations, Mitch Lukovich. Coming up, Jake Faria discusses going home on this road trip and much more. We're back after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Well, we continue on this week in Rays Baseball, and our featured guest this week is Jake Faria. And the obvious is because the team is now in Anaheim on a West Coast trip, and that's where you're from. How different was it for you the first time going there, and is... Uh, we speak before you go out there. Is it any different of a feeling to go out there again? Uh, it, the first time it was very different. Uh, just having grown up in that, pretty much growing up in that ballpark, watching those uh, Angels teams, you know, win in the West all the time. Just it was a lot of fun growing up. So going back there and playing was was pretty cool. Playing against guys like Pujols, Trout, um, you know, was, that was awesome. This time it's a little, uh, it's a little different. And just having already been back and. You know, it's kind of, uh, I kind of know what to expect now, so. Are the ticket requests going to be less than the first time, is is your guess? Uh, probably. Uh, the the good thing was that a lot of people last year, they ended up just buying their own tickets. Um, but I still have a pretty good amount of family that I'm, pro- I'm going to have to leave tickets for, so. You mentioned growing up there. What are your best memories, and how close were you to the field? What are Who are the players that you really were attached to as a kid? Uh, I mean, we were pretty close. We close but uh far away at the same time we were in like this like the middle deck uh front row um so we weren't like field level or anything but they were really good we were up in the club levels really good seats uh right by the right field foul pole so i i watched vladdy a lot growing up um just i remember when he first got when he first got there and had no idea who this guy was because i just i didn't follow anybody other than the angels um and he was just amazing to watch um just so much fun just, just hitting balls bouncing on the ground and stuff but uh, i i do remember uh me and my dad and my brother at a game one time and i asked my dad i said hey do you think we'll ever like we could get a foul ball up here and he goes oh no nobody can reach up here this is pretty this is pretty far um but they're playing uh who are they playing uh whoever jim tomey was with at the time because jim tomey can't i think they're playing the i think it might have been when he was with chicago um and he came up to the plate, and my dad goes, actually, this guy can hit it up here. If there's anybody on this field that can get it up here, it's this guy. And he had actually hit one like two, like two sections down from like closer to, the, uh, closer to home plate from us. Um, that was really cool. We, I remember one year my dad took us out of school early to go to a, uh, a division series game. I think it was like 2004 or five, maybe. We went to the first game of the division series, uh, so that was cool. A couple, few opening days. Uh, so it was, I, I was there for when Vladimir Guerrero drove in nine runs in one game, so that was really cool too. Going to be kind of weird someday facing Vladdy's kid because he's <laughs> he's in the same division. He's not that far away if you've been watching. He's coming. I every time I go on Instagram, it's something about this this behemoth of a t- 
teenager. Is he even 20 yet? Almost. 20, yeah, so it's just, just gi- this gigantic teenager just hitting balls that are disappearing into the night sky. Uh, I think it'll be I think it'll be cool. Just I remember when he signed with the Blue Jays, I was like, this guy looks just like his dad. Like it's un- it's unreal, and I loved watching his dad growing up. So the whole the whole thing of him hitting the walk off in Montreal and everything that was that was really really cool to watch. So I'm excited to watch him when we're not playing Toronto because he's he looks like he's going to be a really good player for a really long time. For you, were you always since obviously you have a great appreciation for the game? Were you always a kid who pitched, or since you're facing the Angels this weekend and they have Otani, was there ever a consideration of hitting? I did. I did both when I was a kid. Uh, I was never as coordinated at the plate as a lot of other kids uh, until I got like later into high school, and by then I'd already, you know, pretty much chosen to stick with pitching. Um, there was an oppor- There was a chance that I was going to go to college and maybe try to do both. Um, but I don't know how I would have fared at the plate. Just, I, I, it never went really that great. There were times where I would show spurts of, you know, being, becoming a good hitter, but pitching was always pretty consistent. So, so far so good with the Rays. What have you learned here in your first full season in the majors that maybe you didn't pick up last year or what did you take away from last year that you think is helping you this year? I think the biggest thing is just stick with what works. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's, this year and part of last year too, things that I was doing in Durham before I got called up, I wasn't doing later on in the big leagues last year and then early this season, and my my game really suffered. So just sticking to what I know works, um, whether it's on the on the mound or in between starts, um, that's the biggest thing. And then just trusting my stuff. There were times last year I didn't trust my stuff and um, was trying to pitch around hitters and you know get them to. You know, pretty much just get them, get them to get themselves out, but not doing it. You know, the right, not going at hitters and doing what I've been doing lately and what I did earlier when I first got called up. So just trusting my stuff is a big, big thing. How helpful has Kyle been? He's been incredibly helpful. Um, me and Arch actually talked about this, uh, you know, earlier in the year. You know, asking me, you know, to ask me about Kyle, and I just told him I was like, "There's." Kyle's known me as long as any pitching coach that I've worked with, you know, consistently over the last few years. He's, I met him in 2012 in spring training and just, we, 2015, no, 2016 was the first year where we actually, we really, you know, started to work together a lot, but he's always known me pretty well. Um, so he's been incredibly helpful. Where? In both, I mean, on and off the field, just on the field, getting back to what was, like I said, getting back to what works and getting back to my routine in between starts and fixing my delivery and, and getting back to what, what has been working. And, you know, there was a point in the season where I was, I just was really, really bad mentally, just doubted myself in every part of the game, in every part of the game. And, um, you know, he really just sat me down and we just had a long talk just about how to just pretty much trust, you know, believe that my stuff plays and, you know, this level and, um, you know, to go out there and trust it. And obviously when you have, it certainly has worked. You know, you've got a lot in your plate in your first full year in the big leagues. You are getting married this fall. Yeah. Tell me, is everything uh, pretty situated or, or there's still a lot of little things to get done? It's pretty much done. Uh, last year uh, during the season, we got a few small things done. And then this off season, we got all the big stuff done. 
Uh, so everything, I think we have one thing left to do in uh, when we go back to Anaheim, and it's going to take like two hours in the morning, and then we're pretty much, that's it, all done. We're just, after that, we're just waiting, waiting for the day. Got the list? The list of the invites? Have oh, you done Because yeah, like, yeah. there, there's some debate about, okay, this family member, this, how, how deep do we go well, into? We, we decided that, uh, bef- we sat down with our parents, um, and really, you know, we dished out their num- their invites that they get, you know, pretty much get to invite whoever they want, a, you know, a certain number of people. Um, and then we both have really big families, a really long extended families. So we, we cut it off at a certain point. Um, it made it a lot easier. Uh, the toughest thing that we, I think we realized was, you know, we, there was a lot of people last year that before I got called up that would probably wouldn't have been invited because we didn't really know them very well. And then got called to the big leagues, met a lot of the, the, you know, got to know a lot of these guys and Jessica got to know a lot of their, their, their wives or girlfriends and they ended up getting invited. And so now it's tough trying to, you know, get close to people during the season, but you know, we don't really, we can't really, we don't really want our guest list to get much bigger than it is now. So it's, it's, it's a kind of a tough, you know, line to walk but we're we're working on it i always think the list is the hardest thing give me one thing that will be at the wedding though that you wanted to make sure was incorporated into it because you're probably there's a lot of things that jessica i'm sure wanted give me one thing that will be something that will you had to have uh a cigar roller i i i am a i like cigars um there was two things really it was cigar and we we Cigar roller was my big thing that I really wanted, um, and she was never, I mean, she she never thought, you know, it was a bad idea. She always was just like, you know what, that's, yeah, we're going with that. And then uh, we have a one big surprise for a lot of the guests that don't, that they don't know is coming until, and they won't know it's there until it, it, until it shows up, um, and you'll, I, I'll tell you on the, I'll let you know on the side what it is, but, uh, but it is a cool a cool thing that we're doing um that only happens on the west coast you can't do it anywhere other than the west coast all right i will i will keep it a secret um i i think what has kind of endeared you to race fans a, a little bit is you know it's not only that we talked about the, the freest flock and the ducks but i think your community work too and fans can actually tie into your community efforts in the in the race uh, store now yes so last year when i got called up uh we got a hold of 500 level the clothing company and we wanted to start making free as flock shirts because that's what everybody was asking for you know they wanted to support you know for his flock and really show that you know how big of fans they were so we start we got in touch with them and started uh getting shirts made and what we really wanted to do all all the shirt all the sales go towards uh, anything that we make the money that we get goes straight to the children's dream fund uh we don't keep any of it um and it was tough at first because all of it was online sales, so it was tough to get the word out. But now, we, what we talked about last year was we wanted to get shirts in the team store. Um, you know, so fans, it's because you get a lot of just the curb appeal. They just walk by, they see the shirt, and they're like, hey, that's cool, I'm going to get that. Um, so when uh, the new vendors came in, uh, we got a contract with them, and uh, so now they are the freest flock shirts are now in the team store. So. It's awesome. You guys are doing it for a wonderful cause as well. A Children's Dream Fund is an awesome cause. What else is near and dear to your heart, and what are some things you want to do going forward as you grow with this organization? Uh, I mean, really, any uh, anything. 
we try to do as much as we can that pops up. Um, I have a lot of family that's in law enforcement, so it's very near and dear to my heart. So any time that there's a chance to do anything with law enforcement, it hasn't it hasn't you know come up yet. But any time that it will um, and does, uh, you know, I, I really want to be a part of that. Anything with the military, very close close to me. I've, my brother was in the army. Uh, my my grandpa, Jesse's grandpa, served in Vietnam. So uh, I, that's really close, uh, really you know near and dear to me. Uh, anything like like it's children's dream fund. Anything with with kids is really big. Um, so stuff I'm I'm trying to help out with right now. Uh, it may not be in the Tampa Bay or St. Pete area, but uh, a really uh, good friend of mine, Trevor Williams, with the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, he's uh, he's very close to Corey Hahn, who I don't know if I'm sure you know, but other people may not know, um, had a very severe uh, spinal cord injury in college. It, you know, paralyzed it for the waist down. So they started their uh, charitable organization called. Project 34. That was Corey's number in college, and that's now Trevor's number in the big leagues. And that's you know, it's pretty cool. It's my number, so I thought I'd you know, I know Trevor, I'd, and I thought I'd get involved. Um, it's just to help support uh, victims of spinal cord uh, injuries. Um, all the money they're they're 501c3, so they're uh, you know, they're it's a really good cause, and I'm really happy to be a part of it. There are uh, a lot of good causes you're involved with. I think it points to something that I, I saw what Kyle said in the media guide about about you. He said that you're an old soul and kind of sharp, self-aware, and hungry. When you hear those words um, from your pitching coach, what does that mean to you, and and how do you see yourself? It means a lot. Just uh, Kyle's been around the game for a long time, and uh, I, I really take i I take what he says very seriously and um, take it to heart. So to hear have him say you know stuff like that really means a lot. Um, you know, and, and when it comes to the, the the stuff off the field, you know, me and me and Jess really, our, our big thing is this is our home for seven and a half months out of the year. And, you know, we spend more time in this community than we do anywhere else. So anything we can do to, to be a part of it and, you know, try to help people's day, everyday lives be a little bit better, you know, we want to be a part of it. So Continue to make this a very successful home for you and Jessica and uh, continued success at your old home. We appreciate some time on this week in Rays Baseball. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me. It's Jake Freya, and we continue right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Before we continue on This Week in Rays Baseball, today from Urban Comfort in St. Petersburg, let's pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. This is 620 WDAE St. Petersburg. It is gone! WPTP HD3 Clearwater and 95.3 FM. Home of the Rays. Time now for our latest feature on 20-year employees in this 20th Rays anniversary season. Hi, I'm Ken Mallory. I'm the Assistant Director of Ticket Operations with the Tampa Bay Rays. And uh, I started with the then Tampa Bay Devil Rays January 12th of 1998. For one, I was elated to be hired uh, by the Devil Rays because... Uh, it was a major league expansion franchise, and being a part of that was extremely unique, not only just working in Major League Baseball, but working for a franchise from the ground up. Uh, my very first day that I started, they didn't even have the dirt in the field. They had kind of the shell of the stadium, so it was kind of neat. You saw mold of the stadium, and then in the background where everything was, where the um, the current uh, the porch uh, that was all drywall, so you could almost see through it. Um, 
my first day specifically, I remember working, uh, my boss, Robert Bennett, who coincidentally is still here, uh, he was showing me something for the uh, Sweet 16 NCAA tournament that we had. And I was looking over his shoulder, and he was feverishly typing away, smoke coming off the keyboard almost. And um, all of a sudden, about five feet behind us, a guy takes a sledgehammer and is knocking a wall out because it was a constant state of reconstruction, and we were wearing hard hats around there, getting lost every day trying to find stuff. But I looked back at him, and I was like, it scared me, obviously. And I looked back at him, and I said, gosh, does this – does this happen every day around here? And he just didn't even look up, but he said, welcome to the Devil Rays. So that was my very first day. So it was, it's been a very interesting ride. And the best part about working for the Rays? It's the people. Um, for one, you know, I tell people even on my worst day, there isn't at least five minutes that I'm extremely blessed to be doing what I'm doing. And it's usually obviously a lot more than that, that, that I enjoy it. But I'll walk from one end of the building to the other, and I'll look at the field, and I'll just say, "Man, I'm working, I'm working for Major League Baseball team." That's a pretty cool to be involved with that, and then all the different people you interact to make everything come together is it's pretty cool to be a part of that, especially when it does come together. What is your personally greatest accomplishment as a Rays employee, and why? I think probably my personal greatest accomplishment was being voted. Uh, or being named, excuse me, Organizational Employee of the Year um, by my peers. And I have to dig out the resume. I think it was in 2015 or, or, or 2014, somewhere around that time. But because it's done by your peers and the people that you work with, uh, I think that's probably been my most, you know, prideful moment. And, and I guess being here since day one and having to evolve – well, that is Ken Mallory, and congrats to him on 20-plus years with the Rays and his evolution with this franchise. Now, 20 years is hard to sum up. Mark Topkin did so very well in a Rays keepsake book for the anniversary season, and he told me how it came together. I did spend most of the off-season working on it, which is why I didn't let you take me out to lunch or something. Otherwise, I'm sure you would have. Um, but it was a collaborative effort between the Tampa Bay Times and the Rays, which was great because it allowed me you know, to, to not only draw upon my own knowledge, but the massive files that we have and certainly the photographs, I'd probably say 90% of the photographs in the book are from the Times files, you know, more recently from Will Vragovic, who now works for the Rays, and going back, you know, all the way to the early days. I mean, there's pictures in there from that very first Gulf Coast League game back in June 1996, way before you ever showed up here on the scene with us. But it was just a treasure trove of memories and, and to get to kind of tap into them. And it really allowed me to frame a lot of the things that we've since done in the newspaper, in the Tampa Bay Times for our preview section and stuff we'll be doing going forward. But just to organize the 20 years and, and really take the readers back through the book uh, to the very beginning and, and obviously through the glory years and going forward and right up uh, until this past off season. Was it hard to narrow it down? And, and what was the hardest part to narrow down? Much harder than I thought. I have to admit that, uh, you know, the season ended and I wanted to put it off a little bit. I knew, you know, how much – I thought I knew how much work it would be. I knew when the deadlines were, and, and I wanted a little bit of time to kind of decompress from the season. But sorting through the photographs and then, as you say, and you, you hit it right on the head, is it wasn't as much to what to include but what to leave out and what to prioritize. And 
you know, and we started, it was a good premise to organize it, not to just do it uh, chronologically by chapter, but to kind of bunch some years and bunch some themes. And, for example, Game 162 got its own chapter and, you know, the greatest night in baseball history, as many people refer to it. But just to go back through that, but, yeah, there were some of the chapters where I was just like, there's no way. I mean, we had a rough limit of, I think, 800 to 1,200 words per chapter, one one or the other. There were some longer and shorter chapters. And some of those, I was like, there's just no way to condense all this in. So, you know, in the newspaper business, we're always trying to make our stories longer uh, or the opportunity to make them longer. In this case, it was a different kind of writing uh, to kind of consolidate and, and get as much information, try to make every sentence mean something to somebody. As someone who writes on deadline a lot, how different is this? Because the deadlines are entirely different from what you're working with on a regular basis. Yeah, that was definitely part of the challenge. And I think that's what led to me uh, probably being a little overconfident in my procrastination and thinking, oh, yeah, I'll just knock this out. You know, I can write a chapter a day. I mean, I write that much on a daily basis in the paper. And again, going back to the organization and and w- without making this you know sound like overly dramatic here, but, you know, I was given this opportunity. This was going to be basically the official documentation of the first 20 seasons, and I felt the responsibility to to include, I mean, obviously not everything, but include as much as I could and, and provide a little bit of that roadmap and the guidance for people that weren't as familiar with the history. I mean, I've had some people read it that are very uh, familiar with the franchise. I've had some people who work here who I don't, won't necessarily say who but haven't been here the whole 20 years who said they read it and they learned a lot about things that they didn't realize exactly how they happened or why they happened before they got here. So it certainly is the official history of the team, and, and obviously it, it focuses more on the positive things that developed, as you would expect. But I think it presents a pretty good uh, summation of those first 20 seasons. I, and I would guess you've gotten all kinds of different reactions. Anything that surprised you so far? And you mentioned that you know some people maybe didn't know the history and you probably have a lot of fans who are learning a lot about baseball through the book yeah it's been fun and, and some of the people have pointed out some of the photos and, and there's a there's actually a great photo in there uh, of evan longoria on his first day of taking batting practice after he signed with the rays after the 2006 draft and then there's some media people in the picture too which is funny to see how they've aged not as well as evan i'll point out but uh and there's some great pictures of lou Pinella in his office and so it, it I, i've kind of said this to a few people but it I viewed it as it was a great collection of photographs, and I put some words around them and and provided some context there. But there was a lot of fun things to uncover, and and I know one of the season ticket holders approached me one day in the draft room, in Republic Bank draft room, after uh, one of the Q&A sessions we do, and he said he got his book and stayed up that night and read it cover to cover. And I know it wasn't gripping drama, but I I appreciated his kind words and showing just the the narrative, because it was fun to write it in narrative sense. The book itself is obviously something that people can now get at the store, I guess, what, anytime the store is open? Yeah, you can get it uh, at the Rays Team Store, which is now called Rays Republic. There's uh, some other stands throughout Tropicana Field. And I know there's a phone number that you'll give the listeners uh, when I'm done off the air where they can call. And the Rays will now uh, – it's not on. It's not like you can order it online per se, but you can call the Team Store. They'll take your information. There's a small shipping and handling charge, and they'll be happy to send it out to you. And I know we've had some success with people that have inquired that way and been very happy to get the book. And you can order that book when the store is open, as mentioned, by also calling 727-342-5731. That's 727-342-5731 during store hours. Now, in the next chapter of Race Baseball, Brendan McKay hopefully will be a big part of it. Brendan now joins us. Congrats, first of all, on your promotion to Port Charlotte. Tell me, what did that promotion mean? It was awesome to be able to move up and uh, get to play with some guys that I been around in spring training and, and, and uh, talked to them about their experience and uh, they gave me some pointers on 
uh, how to approach your first full season of baseball. So it's it's kind of cool to get to see those guys again and start moving up the chain. What has been um, for you, and I know it's only been six weeks, and I know you got a taste last year in Hudson Valley, but what's the biggest difference that you've noticed going from college ball to professional ball in terms of uh, your time management, the approach, all those things involved? Really just uh, showing up every day, not letting the night before uh, hang over you. You have a bad uh, bad couple of bats or a bad day at the plate or anything, make a bunch of errors or uh, from the pitching side have a bad night at on the mound or something, just come back the next day with a you know smile on your face and uh, ready to get after it and get better. You know, I may know your schedule, but I'm sure our fans don't. I know you're part of a six-day rotation right now in terms of the pitching aspect. How are you, what is, let's say, walk us through what a day one through six is in terms of what you do, in terms of where you're playing each day. Okay, so we'll start with uh, the day. The day I would pitch, so pitching would be the first day. The next day after that would be uh, DH day in the lineup of playing DH. Uh, the second day after your start would be playing first base. Uh, third day would be a bullpen with nothing else after that, completely off out of the lineup. Uh, day four would be a another first base day in the lineup. Uh, day five would be DH day in the lineup again, and then uh, the sixth day would be back on the mound. How is it? How has that part of it gone for you? Um, and how is that exactly the way it went at Louisville? I know usually you're not playing six, seven days a week. So it, how close is it, or how close does it mirror what you did in college? It's very similar to uh, what we did at school. Obviously, you're on a seven-day rotation, but the but outside of that, I think everything's the same. You know, DH in one to two days a week, just depending on the schedule. And then the other days I'm, that I'm not on the mound, I'm playing first base in, uh, in the lineup. When you got the promotion, you know, it was clear you were very, very dominant as a pitcher, but as a hitter, it doesn't seem like by the numbers guys were pitching to you. Was that at all frustrating for you? And how welcoming was it to get a chance to move up? Maybe guys will, will be a little bit more aggressive to pitch to you. Yeah, obviously, um, as a hitter, you don't want to walk. Um, unless there's a situation where you, you need a walk or um, just anything like that. But obviously, yeah, um, kind of the reputation um, a guy may have in college or um, what everybody thinks about you can can uh, depict how somebody's going to pitch to you and how teams are going to attack you, and you may not see a lot of stuff to hit. So you just got to take, you know, if they make a mistake, take advantage of it. If not, be content with seeing a lot of pitches. And uh, if you do get the two strikes down, tough pitches off and um, work, your, work your way on base. You walked us through your kind of six-day routine, but what about on a daily basis? I mean, how much is divided between spending time with the pitchers versus the position players? Majority of the days I'm I'm with the position players. Uh, the only days I'm with the pitchers are really my bullpen day, and then obviously day on the mound. More or less, just I'm with the hitters more just because uh, of getting swings, and I can still do the same sort of throwing program with the position players that I would do with the pitchers, um, and it would I would be done uh, throwing a little sooner and be able to work with the position players more. Uh, than what I would be if I was throwing with the pitchers. You know, what you're doing, obviously, is very unique at the professional level, and the Rays are actually playing the Angels this week, uh, this weekend, taking on, uh, obviously, Shohei Otani. In fact, Otani's pitching here on, on this Sunday. How closely have you watched what he's done from afar? Uh, I haven't gotten to see any of his live games, but I've seen uh, bits and pieces of it on Twitter, Instagram, 
all sorts of social media and obviously on uh, Sports Center and ESPN, everything that they're showing about him just because he's a he's a hot topic, you know, which he should be. Um, a guy that has we haven't seen a, a two-way guy in professional baseball in many years, so obviously the coverage is big on him. But I followed it closely enough just to see what he's doing and um, how he does it. You know, from a I, I speak to a lot of guys who have played the field and then DH, and they talk about how hard it is to kind of turn it on and off, you know, mentally when you're a DH and you've got nothing to worry about but you're at bat coming up. Is it helpful sometimes to pitch and then, you know, be able to play the field and not worry about that and vice versa when you're going through good or bad stretches? Yeah, I mean, like if you're if you got a bad outing in the mountain, for me, i gotta, I got to be in the lineup, or I'm in the lineup and i got to be able to swing it, so i got to blow that past me and, um, just clear my mind and be able to focus on that game and not what happened the day before or anything. And from a growth standpoint, obviously you've gotten the promotion, but how do you want to grow this year as both a pitcher and a hitter? Uh, pitcher, just keep working on uh, attacking hitters and uh, trying to keep the pitch count down as much as you can so you can work deep in the ball game, And then obviously just working on commanding all your pitches throughout a, throughout a start and Trying to figure out if you, even if you don't have your best stuff on one day, still making it work. Um, and then on the hitting side, just being able to to not have to uh, have that perfect pitch to do any to do damage with. You know, take what they give you and make a good swing from that point. Well, Brendan, we're excited for uh, for you to have the opportunity to continue to grow this year with the Stone Crabs, both on the mound and at the plate. We appreciate some time and wish you continued success this year. Thank you very much. That's Brendan McCain. Of course, the Rays are seeing a two-way player today in Joey Otani on the mound. And joining us now to discuss him and the Angels, longtime broadcaster Victor Roas. Victor, thanks for being with us. Neil, my pleasure. Always uh, great getting a chance to chat with you. You know, you look at your club, and obviously there have been a lot of additions, but how specifically has this club become different because of Otani being on it? Well, I, I think from a from a pitching standpoint, certainly changed uh, how guys get ready, and because of the uh, the six man rotation, depending on the schedule uh, and the like. You know, after uh, after today's game, uh, because of the off day, uh, we won't need a sixth starter. So there's been some adjustments uh, on that front, uh, but otherwise, really on the offensive front, it really hasn't changed a whole lot, other than the fact that. Albert had to uh, go into the offseason last year, uh, or at least at the back end of the offseason, and get ready to play first base more so than he had in the previous couple of years when he served as the primary DH. But it seems to be working out all right. Uh, you know, the only times that Joe Hay doesn't uh, get a chance to bat are the uh, day before and the day after he pitches. And uh, otherwise, he's been uh, made available. And I guess as the season progresses, we'll continue to. Uh, I'm assuming the, the Angels will continue to take the gloves off a little bit and use him as a pinch hitter, which he has been used a couple of times in those situations. So we'll, we'll see. It's still kind of a book that's being written, but mm-hmm. uh, overall it hasn't had a, a negative impact whatsoever on the ball club. If anything, it's had more of a positive one, uh, and it's certainly added to the excitement of the 2018 season. Are you surprised at all at how well he's done this early on both sides of the ball? I'm surprised uh, I'm more so on the offensive side than I am on the on the pitching side. Uh you know, I, I think any major league hitter or minor league hitter will tell you how difficult it is to make the adjustments, even just going level to level, uh, unless you're an extremely talented individual and blessed with that ability. Uh, there's always a little adjustment period. And even when guys come up and experience some success early, it's difficult to sustain just because the league, you know, kind of uh, wraps its arms or uh, wraps its head around what you're bringing to the table and they make adjustments. And so the game 
begins, the old cat and mouse, back and forth between a pitcher and a hitter. But uh, for him to be able to go through struggles that he did in spring training and then to make an adjustment in the freeway series right before the regular season against the Dodgers um, and get rid of the leg kick and just go more to a toe tap and to be able to implement it that quickly and have the success that he's had, it's pretty amazing. Uh, it's, it's difficult enough as it is to hit mm-hmm. in the big leagues, but all of a sudden to make an adjustment so late in spring uh, and have it carry over um, just kind of tells you how much talent that this uh, young man really possesses. On the pitching front, I think when you live in the 97, 100-mile-per-hour range, you've got a nasty slider, nasty splitter, you can get away with certain things. I think there's a little bit more margin for error on the pitching front. And he's made a couple of mistakes here and there. But uh, I think overall what stands out from Shohei is the fact that he really has ice in his veins. I mean, he doesn't at least outwardly show frustration, doesn't show that he's upset, doesn't show that he's rattled uh, when he does get into a little bit of a situation, whether it's on the offensive side or on the pitching side. And I think that's uh, it says a lot. I mean, obviously he's been exposed to it at an early age, got drafted right out of high school in Japan, went right uh, into the professional leagues as an 18-year-old. So he has some experience in dealing with this uh, kind of stuff. You know, the transition to the big leagues has been uh, about as smooth as you can imagine. Uh, you know, if you take away the six weeks in spring training, as far as the major league side of things in the regular season, it's been very smooth. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised that all said uh, that uh, Logan Morrison, a former Ray at the beginning of the week, said that he possibly could be the best player on the planet. I still think you have the best player in Mike Trout. And <laughs> yeah. and to me, he's been Mike's even been better in a lot of areas of his game this year. Do you think just having some of the additions to the lineup have helped Mike, or has he just made a lot of great adjustments on his own? I think he continues to make adjustments. Uh, as good a start as he's had this year, I still uh, will argue that the start that he had last year between April and uh, I think it was the third week, fourth week of May, when he got injured in Miami, mm. was probably the best month and a half, month and three quarters to start a season that Trout's had at the Major League level. I mean, he was, his numbers were ridiculous, and he was, everything that he hit was squared up. Now, uh, we looked at some numbers yesterday, apparently, that he's barreled up more baseballs uh, this year than he has in, in previous seasons. Uh, his hit rate, contact rate's a little bit higher. Uh, it's interesting to note that just because from a visual standpoint, just from a number standpoint, he was off to another MVP caliber season until he got, you know, had to have thumb surgery. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, I think, I think it helps the lineup. Uh, Albert's, you know, Albert, he, he'll, he'll go through his, uh, his streaks throughout the course of the year. And Angelton Simmons, I think, is a guy that kind of a young son hero that nobody really talks about, but continuing to uh, put up great numbers, obviously a, an elite defender. Uh, but when you're hitting 340 and in the uh, top five, top ten in batting average in the American League, it speaks to the uh, transition that he's made on the offensive side. Now the Angels need Kinsler and Cozart, Calhoun to kind of get it going to round out the lineup. Um, but uh, overall, it's tough to complain with the way the team has started this year, uh, considering that they they really haven't clicked one through nine for an extended period of time. I'd agree on that, end, and especially about uh, your, your thoughts on Simmons. I'm curious, uh, obviously at this point of the year, this is a playoff team. There's still a lot of baseball to be played, but what do you see as a guy who's uh, covered this team for many years is their greatest need going forward? Well, the bullpen is obviously an issue. It has been an issue this year. And, uh, you know, I think early on uh, there was really no clear-cut closer coming out of spring training, and Mike Sosha was going to go play it play with the uh, the situation at hand and figure out uh, if someone was going to take the bull by the horns, per se. 
And Keenan Middleton did that. He came out and threw the ball very well, had to go on the DL, spent the 10 days, came back off the DL, pitched three times, and then on the third day had to come out of the game and uh, subsequently had uh, uh, an MRI that revealed he's got some damage to his UCL. And because of the fact that the starters were having issues earlier this year, uh, the bullpen pitched very well, but they were also very exhausted. So it's kind of a, a transitional period right now. The Angels blew a game against the Astros earlier this week that uh, you know could have given the uh, the Angels a, a series win, especially after what Verlander did on Wednesday night. Uh, you know, those are the things, those are the games that you need to win. Uh, so I think it continues to shake out. Uh, Blake Parker's starting to pick it up a little bit. He's had such a fantastic season for the Angels last year. It was off to a slow start. Velocity was down. The bite on the splitter was off. But it's starting to come around a little bit. Justin Anderson's a rookie. Uh, he throws 97 to 100. Hard, nasty slider. Terrific stuff. Great moxie. Kid out of Houston. He's got the potential to be a, a closer in waiting. Other than that, it's kind of just shaking itself out. you get got veterans. Uh, and Jim Johnson, Jose Alvarez uh, had the hiccup against the Astros on Tuesday night. Um, and so I think we're if there's one particular need right now, uh, aside from those those guys that I mentioned offensively of, of, of picking it up, and track record says that they, they probably will, is uh, really addressing the, the bullpen and uh, the back end of the pen. But uh, we'll see how it plays out. You know, Blake Woods on the DL, that'll help uh, provide some more depth once he comes off. The, the Angels, un, unlike last couple of years, do have some arms down in the minor leagues and uh, some pretty big arms. As a matter of fact, they've thrown three combined no-hitters already this year. Yeah. And Griffin Canning, uh, the Angels' second-round pick out of UCLA last year, has started two of them at Double A. So there are options, unlike in years past. So it's at least a little comforting knowing that you can go within the organization as opposed to kind of being held at gunpoint when you're looking for a trade partner. Interesting stuff, Victor. We look forward to seeing you at the ballpark in August, and we certainly appreciate a few minutes on this week in race baseball. Always my pleasure, Neil. That is Victor Rojas. Special thanks to him and all our guests. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, tweet me at Neil Solons. Next week, C.J. Crone and more. For Steve Carney, Neil Solons, say stay tuned. The pregame show is next on the Rays Baseball Network.